If you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And let me say something real quick that I feel like needs to be said, especially because we have ethnos students with us today. Real quick, if you're here with ethnos, just raise your hand. Excellent. So thankful for that. Um, just a quick thing to pay attention to that I think is very important is, is we deal with a lot of missionaries here, a lot of them. Uh, we've had conversations with people to be potential missionaries that we support, and we've chosen not to do that in some situations. Uh, in some situations, we've actually made the decision to cut support to certain missionaries for reasons. And I want to go ahead and, and tell you why and make that very clear. Someone who is in a different place and is not preaching the gospel is not a missionary. And I think that's very important to understand. Missions is about sharing Jesus Christ. I know you guys are like, yeah, we know that. That's why we're at school. You'd be surprised how many times you don't hear that. You'd be surprised how many times that you're supporting somebody, that they're serving out their own agenda, and they're not preaching Christ. Thank you, Roxanne. Because the most important thing to me that was shared was seven people we can now call brothers and sisters in Christ, all because they made the decision to go. That's big. God wants to use people for his glory. And he does it primarily helping people, yes. Medicating people, sure. Educating people, great. But healthy, smarter people can still go to the lake of fire. Those who have heard the gospel and believe, they do not. So I think that's important. We are in 1 Corinthians 12, and we've been going through a series called The Gifts in the Body. Because every single believer in Jesus Christ, whether you know it or not, has been given a spiritual gift. You've been blessed in some way to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters. And so we've been going along and examining the major passages that deal with the idea of spiritual gifts so that we understand and so that Grace Bible Church can have every opportunity possible to be a spiritual church. We are the body of Christ. We are a spiritual unit that has been put together under the head of our Savior, Jesus. He is the one who is leading and guiding the body. He has given us all the Holy Spirit of which to manifest His work through us. So our purpose is to identify and understand better spiritual gifts that are either valid or invalid for today, the ones that we might personally have, and then to ask the question, how do I use that spiritual gift for the blessing of others? Today is going to rub some people raw, okay? I'll just go ahead and let you know, and I don't have a better way to put it. Because any time that you are dealing with certain gifts that people feel that they have, but they don't have, and that the Scriptures lead us in such a direction as to preach to us that they are not valid today, or they served a purpose for a time, and now they've passed off the scenes. People don't like that. And usually the reason is, is because we've made the mistake... That's not tongues. We've made the mistake. We've made the mistake of getting so engrossed in experience that we've allowed for experience to overcome and dictate how we read truth. And it's the other way around. The Word of God is true. It is the glasses of which we put on so that we clearly see what we're dealing with at any given time. And if we don't keep that straight, we will be easily overcome by a lot of things that don't matter. 
Now, let me share a short story. When my relationship with the Lord seriously kicked off in 1998, okay? And I, I, yeah, it was a long time ago. And immediately when you become this brand new believer and you're starting to learn about the Lord, everything will influence you. And everybody wants to influence you. Why? Because you're a baby and you don't know any better. You're just really jazzed because Jesus loved you and died for you. And then somehow when you get smarter, you lose that fire, but you're going to let everybody else know where they're wrong. I would hope that would not be the case. That we would recognize what it is to still hold on to that fervent passion for what God is able to do and what He has done in our lives, but not forsake being wise and allowing for the Scriptures to change our thinking according to what God would have us to do. And so here I am about three to six months after believing in Christ. And I'm sitting in a Toyota Corolla at the end of a dead-end drive facing a cornfield with some guy sitting next to me going, just try it, man. Just try it. I'm like, okay. If you speak in tongues, you can get the second blessing. And the Holy Spirit will baptize you. And you'll no longer struggle with those sins. But instead, you will be brought into the fullness of the Spirit. And so he began speaking something that I don't understand. And I have this immense guilt and inadequacy upon myself. Well, God, why can't I do this? Didn't you save me? So why is there something else? Why is there more? And I seriously considered walking away from Christ at that moment. Because of what I could not produce and was demanded to. Now, I'm young in the faith. And I don't know everything that the Scriptures have to say about spiritual gifts. But when I look at a passage like chapter 12, verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. It all comes from the same place, but they're different. If I need to speak in tongues in order to graduate in my Christian maturity, why is that one gift being singled out more than others? If there's a variety of gifts, shouldn't we then have all the gifts? But isn't that kind of what Paul's speaking against? It's not that everybody's got all of them. It's that they're all different, but they all come from the same source. He then says, there are a variety of ministries, ways to manifest that. Different things to get involved in. But the same Lord, that being Jesus, there's a variety of effects, a different way to work these things out. Not everybody is going to serve with the gift of helps the same. And not everybody is going to preach the same. And not everybody is going to encourage in the same way. But it says here, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So it's the work of God. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Everybody has it. For what? The common good. My drive in utilizing whatever spiritual gift I have been gifted with is to allow for the Spirit to manifest His work through me to bless you. 
not me. It's not so much that I need to be looking at myself asking the question, where am I lacking in this situation? That's often how we treat Bible study and prayer time or whatever it is, is we very much got ourselves at the center of all of this thinking. When's the last time that we studied the Bible for the sake of other people? When's the last time that we prayed solely for the fact of other people? And when's the last time that we served? Because it wasn't about how good I was going to feel in getting those things out. Isaiah, raise your hand. See this guy right here? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. There he is. He's my contact that I communicate back and forth in order to put together people to come from Ethnos and be here. Okay? So he and I chat a little bit going on. This dude has an incredible heart. He loves people. And he's asking me a lot about what it is to deal with people in poverty-type ministries. And I'm telling him the dangers of the fact that more times than not, people will listen to whatever they have to listen to in order to just get what they want from you and be done with it. And you get easily discouraged. Does that stop him from his gift? No, he should still be giving his gift. He should still be looking for ways to better the body. Outward thinking. How are you being built up today? How have you had an interaction with a brother or sister in Christ that is building you up? That's where it needs to happen. So often we get involved in those types of ministries that he's dealing with right now because of how it makes us feel. Well, here are the numbers, and we feel real good about what we did. Is there anything wrong with feeling good in ministry? No, but if it trumps the idea of God being glorified in ministry, the priorities are out of whack. Because we didn't do it for him, we did it for who? That's the wrong king. That's the wrong ruler sitting on the throne. So these things have got to be going out with the mindset of God You've gifted me in the way that you've chosen to do it for the sake of others, others, others. Always others. Why do I harp on this? I'm not even into my sermon yet. Why do I harp on this? Because this is the greatest obstacle that Christians face. We're out to get all that we can, and what's mine is mine, and we'll take it from everybody that's looking to give it. But understand, there is to be a reciprocation that takes place, not of the same gifts and not in the same way, but a way for those people who are giving out those gifts constantly to be built up by the other gifts coming back at them. Does that make sense? One of the scariest things to think about is that percentage-wise in any given body of Christ, locally anywhere, it would be like only this area is the only one that serves and everybody else gets served by those people in the church. There shouldn't be any reason why we're begging anybody to do anything. And so my conviction is, is it may be that we have an ignorance of spiritual gifts and simply need for the Bible to point us in the direction of how to best utilize them. Now I can get into my sermon. In your bulletin, you have this chart. I want to put it in front of you. Is this on? Is this on? Check. Okay, just making sure. This right here is biblical categories of spiritual gifts. You have all the gifts that are listed there. We're dealing primarily with serving and teaching 
gifts. If you will remember our time in 1 Peter 4, those are the only two categories that Peter gave at that time later on in the ministry of the history of the early church. But if you notice, there's a third category at the bottom called sign gifts. And the gifts that fall under those are miracles, healings, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And those have a direction. While serving and teaching gifts point inwardly in order to glorify God by building up the body, building up one another, sign gifts were given primarily for the demonstration to unbelievers. That's the reason why they were put forth. So this is a little helpful chart you can hold on to, tuck in the back of your Bible, put it with the rest of your notes of everything that we've been given out right now so that you will have this and can often refer to it. And we will, as we go through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, be referring back to this. I want to make sure that everybody has it. If you will look at verse 9 in your Bible, I'm sorry, verse 8. To one's given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge according to the Spirit, both speaking gifts. To another faith, that's a serving gift by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing, that's what we're dealing with today, by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, which is the other one that we are dealing with today, healing and miracles. Now here's one thing that is very interesting. One of the, one of the basic foundational things you want to do anytime that you're doing a Bible study is you want to do a word study. We obviously understand that there's some sort of transition between Hebrew to English or Greek to English that may cause some difference going on. And so it's worth our time to learn how to investigate those things and ask the question, is this being handled well? We're not experts by any means, and that's fine. God's gifted Pastor Steve and only certain other people to be able to deal with that stuff. We understand. But that's the reason why we have a library as large as we do to help us through those things. If you look at the idea of any of these that we've looked at, knowledge, What's the other ones we looked at? Wisdom, forgive me. Teaching, giving. There's not anything that's odd about these words that would make you go, huh, that, that makes me take it in this light. Never. There's not anything about that. The emphasis is more on the fact that God has gifted people in special ways in those areas for the use with others. And it's the same thing here. For instance, if we look at the definition of healing, let's pull that up real quick. The definition of healing. It's aema. Not anything unusual about the word. It's how healing is used all throughout the Bible. The capacity to cause someone to become healed or cured, the power to heal, and the capacity to heal. So depending on the context, depends on how it's used. Nothing unusual. How about the next one for miracles? The idea of miracles. Dunamis. Now what's funny is, is later on, this is actually where we got the English word dynamite from. Okay? Now don't take our English understanding and read it back into the text. Don't do that, okay? Okay, but it says a deed manifesting great power with the implication of some supernatural force. Who's the supernatural force? God. The Holy Spirit is working through us. The manifestation of the Spirit. Now, here's what we're going to see. Everybody ready to flip around some so we can understand this, yes? Get your fingers loosened up. Come on. Here we go. The very first thing we're going to look at is the whole idea of signs, wonders, and miracles. They're normally coupled together, or we find those things all branched together. None of us would deny the fact that Jesus healed people. We're familiar with that. You know, we joke often about how he raised Peter's mother-in-law from sickness, and we're still unsure why that took place, you know. We talk about that. That's not funny. Come on, man. Everybody's got a great relationship with your mother-in-law, yes? Okay, yeah. It's like, why did he raise her? Weird, you know. Because he can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we would ask and think, right? So there it is. 
We know that Jesus healed. We know that God used the power in order to raise Jesus from the dead. And we would consider the resurrection the the biggest miracle that's ever taken place. But there are other things that the Bible has to say about miracles that if we'll just follow this idea and see what unfolds, we'll find that they fit really nicely into three categories. The first one is, is it's going to be by false prophets in the Great Tribulation. Turn with me to Matthew 24. If you're familiar with Matthew 24, you know this is what's commonly called the Olivet Discourse. This is where Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. And his disciples have asked him questions about the end times. They want to know what's going to take place. And so Jesus begins teaching them about the tribulation. And as he begins to unfold the seven-year tribulation for them, and starting in verse 15, he begins to emphasize the middle point of the tribulation. In my understanding, and Pete will correct me later where I'm wrong, But in my understanding, the first three and a half years of the tribulation are pretty much a false peace. There's a lot of things that are going on underground and behind the scenes in order for the Antichrist to rise to a political power and mount a takeover. But at this moment in verse 15, when the abomination of desolation takes place, this is the three and a half years where he comes into the temple of Israel in the Holy of Holies and he demands to be worshipped or he's going to kill everybody. And there is a mass slaughter that begins to take place. And Jesus actually says, this is the great tribulation. It is a time as if it had never been done before. And he actually mentions that in verse 21. But what I want to look at here, knowing the time frame, is 22 and 23. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. In other words, Jesus isn't going to manifest himself when he returns at the end of the tribulation and only show himself to a few people that he's going to send out and get everybody else out of the caves and the holes in their homes and their basements and all this stuff and say, finally, come out. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen suddenly. Verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. For what reason? So as to mislead if possible, even the elect. Who are the elect in this? Well, since he's talking to the disciples at this point, and it has everything to do with Jerusalem and and Israel going through the tribulation because the church does not, the elect here are speaking of the chosen ones of God, Israel. Notice that signs and wonders are going to be used for the purpose of misleading and manipulation by false Christ. So that's the first category that you find. The second category that we see here. Bring that up, Dave. You got it? There we go. Second category is the mark of a true apostle in the first century. Turn with me to Acts 2. Most of our time is going to be spent in Acts unfolding this. Acts chapter 2. I know we've got a lot to turn to, but I promise, please jot it down. You can watch it on uh, our website later as well. Chapter 2, or yeah, Acts 2, 42, 43. This is Luke's summary of what's going on in the first century church. The gospel's been preached. 3,000 people have come to faith in Christ. Man, that had to have been fun to try to organize that one out, right? They're all meeting in each other's houses. Things are going good. Look at verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place. How? Through the apostles, mark that. One of the early things that was going on were that the apostles were manifesting signs and wonders and miracles. Why was that? 
to authenticate the message that God was giving. Paul never walked into a situation and say, okay, everybody turn to 2 Corinthians that I wrote just a couple of weeks ago. That didn't happen. There's no New Testament. And so everything that they're expounding is from the Old Testament. And God wants them to know this is from the Creator. So He endows His representatives with special abilities that are going to solidify the message. Moving on to the next one here. Turn over to chapter 5. And there's so much that we could get in this. I just want you to see the fact that the apostles were the ones who were marked by this. Chapter 5, verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord, that's not a Honda, in Solomon's portico. Just making sure. You ever heard that joke? You know the apostles drove around, didn't you? What do you mean? They were all in one accord? <laughs> that's one of those prayers where you put your hand on their forehead. You're like, hold still, right? I don't know. Anyway, moving on. We see here that the apostles have this ability. Another one. This one is a little out of our, our reach, but 2 Corinthians 12. And this is probably a really good defining one to see. 2 Corinthians 12. We, we normally know 2 Corinthians 12 because of the thorn in the flesh that Paul prays to have removed because of the great heavenly visions that he saw. And the Lord didn't want him to get prideful. So the Lord actually allowed for a thorn in his flesh, figuratively speaking, a messenger from Satan to bother him, to keep him humble, to keep him dependent upon the Lord so that pride wouldn't overcome him. And we're usually familiar with that, but afterwards, we deal in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. The signs of a true apostle, and Paul is having to defend his apostleship, were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Somebody had come along and had denied to the people in Corinth that Paul was even really an apostle. He goes, no, no, no. You know I was, if not just by my message, because God allowed the ability to take place. If you were an apostle in the first century, you had signs, wonders, and miracles that you were able to perform. That's the second category. Third category. Category number three. Everybody turn back to Acts 2. A validation of God's message with God being the source of power. Anybody been to a Benny Hinn crusade? Good, okay. I just want to make sure. That would be considered an abuse of these passages. In Acts 2, starting in verse 22, this is Peter's message. To everyone who hears their own language from where they're from, because they're out of town gathered in to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and they're hearing the miracles of God, the wonders of God being spoken in their own dialogue. And they said, I don't understand this. It's early in the morning. These people must be drunk. Peter stands up and said, nope, we haven't been drinking anything. Let me tell you what's going on. And he begins to preach. And he sums up his sermon with this. Watch, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man, pay attention, attested to you by who? God. God is making a testimony through Jesus Christ. How? Now stop for a second. Everybody remembers the passages where it talks about that there was nothing different about Jesus that we should notice him. He looked like everybody else, right? So there's nothing. He wasn't walking along and shining like all these pictures that we see. His feet actually touched the ground when he moved. I mean, the whole thing, right? We've got some weird conceptions of Jesus, what he was like. He's just a normal guy. So what set him apart besides his profound and convicting teaching? God 
attested to you by God. He was making a statement with miracles and wonders and signs, which, notice this, God performed through him. So God is not only making a statement through Christ, he's performing the miracles through Christ. This gives a whole other dimension to the idea of, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. The Father's will is all I care about. Well, the Father's will is the will would be his power coming through him as well. You read uh, Matthew chapter 12 and you see it's a manifestation of the Spirit that had come upon the Pharisees that they should take note. And they had denied it and said, no, no, that's not from God. That's actually from Satan. There's your unpardonable sin. So moving on here, he says, God performed through him in your midst Just as you yourselves know, verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him up again. There's another miracle. Putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Three times in these three verses, God is the one who is putting forward the power and making the statement through Jesus Christ about what he wanted us to know. It all originates in God, okay? Moving on to the next one. Turn over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. Now, this is really interesting. I kind of wish we would pray like this more. But Peter and John had just gotten persecuted for their belief in Jesus. They were beaten and let go. And then they all of a sudden decide they're going to have a prayer meeting. It's the first thing they're going to do once they got out of confinement. Okay? And here's the end of their prayer. Verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Doesn't that just sound dangerous? You ever thought about somebody coming against you with the gospel? You know, how dare you, Christian? If you've ever been made fun of or put down or persecuted in some way, just remember later on you get to pray this prayer. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, what makes faith healers different from the apostles is that the apostles actually have a motive in establishing a message that wasn't written yet. And by no means do they want the credit or glory at all. Nobody was, the apostles were not lined up charging an admission fee. Nobody had tickets to the house church in order to get healing. And nobody was healed even more if they gave their contribution. Now I'm sure all of us have had bad experiences with those situations and we were very well to be skeptical. Anybody that tells you that if you would just send in your bills and they're going to burn all your debt on the altar as long as your contribution is is coming with it. And oh, by the way, they take credit card for that contribution. But they're going to burn all your bills and take all your debt away. That's a problem. That's a problem. Notice here, it's all about the Lord. It's all about He's the one who heals. It's all about the name of Jesus Christ. Turn over with me to 14. Acts 14. Acts 14 is really great because Peter and Barnabas have been through some very, very interesting stuff. Chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium, and if you're like, I don't know where that's at, where is that? Just think Galatia, okay? In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. So a place that already had some sort of foundation of the Old Testament. 
and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both Jews of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Verse 3, Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. Now watch this. And what was the Lord doing? He was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Where did it come from? The Lord. Everybody see the idea that they weren't trying to take it up of themselves? It wasn't a, oh yeah, well you did this. It wasn't an argument that was going on. It was the fact that they were resting in, God has got this situation, and God manifests the authentication of His message by signs and wonders and miracles. Now here's the crazy thing about this. Even though that stuff went on, people were still largely disbelieving. In fact, if you go through and you see, yeah, some people came to Christ, you would think about the culmination of people who didn't come to Christ, and you might think, well, numbers-wise, this is kind of a tragedy. So notice the signs, wonders, miracles were going on to authenticate the message, but that doesn't mean that people at that time were easily persuaded by those things. It all had to do with what God was doing. Now here's the sad thing about that. If they weren't persuaded by that, here's one thing that they definitely were once Paul and Barnabas walked away. In fact, before that at the end of 13, it's, it's the passage they knocked the dust off their feet, they swept it off as in judgment of them, and they, and they moved on. They're definitely accountable now. Imagine being one of those people who's standing before the great white throne judgment and saying, well, Lord, you can't, you can't let me go to the lake of fire. You don't understand. I didn't know. Wait a second. Paul and Barnabas showed up at your synagogue. And I gave them signs, wonders, and miracles to do right in front of your eyes accompanied with the message of Jesus is the Christ who's died for your sins. You didn't know enough? I stamped it. It's not going to be a successful ex excuse. These are three ways that you see it. Three ways that signs, wonders, and miracles are unfolded. Now, some things to think about real quick. Notice that the majority of these things, in fact, I would say strictly all of them, happened through the hands of the apostles. It was always about the idea of giving God glory for the healing. It wasn't about giving glory to the person of whom the healing came through. And that's the problem that we have today. If we go to our little diagram that Emily put together for us, and we think about what we've looked at so far, about how the church has been structured. Jesus Christ is the foundation, but on top of it were apostles and prophets. Why? Because they were revelatory positions. They've got something that they need to say. Scripture needs to be written down, and so therefore the Word of God is coming through them. But once this is completed, have apostles and prophets passed off the scene? Yes, no. I have somebody that just texted me yesterday. Does everybody have the gift of prophecy? Now pause. What we've just been looking at in this study, does everybody have the gift of prophecy? No. We all have different gifts of which to build one another up. I said, no. According to 1 Corinthians 12, everybody's got different gifts. Well, I'm talking with these people who are telling me definitely that everybody's got the gift of prophecy and everybody should be able to speak a new word from the Lord at any given moment on command. It should just be able to happen. Now, this person's a fairly young believer. Do you think this is creating problems? You know what my response is? Get in church! Stop it with all this nonsense. Because they're on retreat, out in the middle of the woods, out in the middle of nowhere. 
and she is being constantly pressured and pushed, you need deliverance. You need to go through a deliverance process. Pause. Have you already been delivered? Yes. Jesus Christ already delivered me. But you haven't experienced the baptism of the Spirit. Time out. Have you been baptized by the Spirit? At the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, you were dunked forever. We all want more of the Spirit because we all want to lead more godly lives. There's nothing wrong with desiring that. But to say that in somehow we're lacking when Ephesians 1.3 says you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your location makes all the difference in the world in how you think about the idea of sign gifts and all the deficiencies and tactics that people would use to thank you that you need more than what Christ alone can provide. It's insane. And finally, I had to text her last night and say, listen, these women know their doctrinal creeds and their denominational creeds inside and out. They don't have the foggiest clue what they're doing with the Bible. Put it down. Leave it alone. Stop reading it if this is what you're going to do with it. Because it's messing people up. I'm, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm concerned about what I'm, how many conversations I'm going to have to have to undo what's being done. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Sorry, that's my own personal little about the whole thing. So, But anyway, notice on top of this, evangelists, pastor, teachers, and teachers, this is where we're at now in history-wise. What are we to be doing? Equipping the saints. Why? So that we can work together for works of service and building up the body. This is God's plan. If we're doing anything that is outside of this, and this right here is everything that the Bible rests on, we're wrong, we're busy, but we're wasting time. Here's a really good quote, a guy named Robert Gramacki. Very good. If you get a chance to grab any of his books, he's also wrote a, a pretty good book on tongues it would be good to get. The apostles and New Testament prophets laid the foundation as they evangelized others and wrote New Testament books. The foundation was completed when the last apostle died. Although the church has continued to grow through the centuries, the foundation has remained firm and constant. No new foundation could ever be built. The revelatory and sign gifts validated the foundation, the doctrinal basis for the church belief and behavior. The purposes for those gifts ceased when the apostles and prophets completed their task. In other words, we don't need it now. Are you saying God can't heal? No, I'm saying God can heal. I'm saying we don't have apostles. And so therefore, we don't have people specially endowed with this task to do it. Well, wait a second, I was on the internet and I saw there's all kinds of apostles. <laughs> yes, there are. And I'm sure for a nominal fee, you could become one too. But here's the question. Do we not have a hospital sitting right over here? If anybody's got the gift of healing, get over there. And glorify the Lord floor by floor, bed by bed, door by door. Why is it not being done in that way? Would that not give glory to the creator of all things? Would we not see revival break out in that situation? Hopefully you guys see through it. I wasn't going to do this, but since Roxanne took so long, we're going to, okay? Next part, I got to have a scapegoat. What's interesting also is the New Testament silence on this. In other words, we believe in progressive revelation. We believe in the idea that when you start in Genesis, you begin to learn a little bit about God, man, and sin. And as you continue to go through, holes begin to get filled in. And what comes a little bit later is starting to fill in a little bit more information as we need to go. 
God did not mind dump all of truth on us in the first chapter of Genesis at all. Okay, so we read it and as things progress and as history progresses, we learn some things. Four interesting things about sign gifts. Number one, any use of tongues after 1 Corinthians speaks to either the digestive organ, think James chapter 3, the tongue is a flame of fire, talking about watching your words, or uh, what's by the, uh, the dialect of Gentile people. But it is never used again in the rest of the New Testament as reference to a sign gift. Not after 1 Corinthians, it's not. The next one. Any mention of miracle after 1 Corinthians refers to either the authentication of an apostle, which we saw in 2 Corinthians 12. These were gifts that apostles had. Or is attributed to God alone. We'll look at one of those in just a second. These last two references emphasize the message of the gospel as greater than the law. But as far as any other use of miracle, never used for the sign gift. The uses of healing after 1 Corinthians speak of physical or metaphorical restoration, but not through the means of a sign gift. And there are the instances where it occurs. Never is it used as a sign gift ever again. Next one. Finally, an account of signs and wonders after 1 Corinthians refers to the work of the Antichrist. That's who the next signs and wonders are attributed to. Or the authentication of the message of the apostles like we just saw. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Turn to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 is a very important passage for discerning this. Don't worry, the donuts will still be fresh. Hebrews 2. It is difficult for me to find a place to pick this up and move in because the argument of Hebrews is just incredible. So it's difficult for me. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. The author of Hebrews is telling them, you have this great salvation. And it's not just justification. It's eventuating in your glorification. God is going to bring you to that end as a believer in Christ. So be faithful now so that your glorification can be everything that God ever wanted it to be for you. Okay? And so when it uses the word salvation, it's talking about the whole gamut. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, and that's speaking about the law of Moses, okay? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If God has revealed salvation in Jesus Christ, and that's so much greater than the law because He keeps the law for us, and we don't pay close attention to that message, and we miss out on having a grand glorification as the Father desires for us, you think we're going to get out from under that? No. If you couldn't get away from the law and its convicting work, you can't get away from this. It's impossible. Now, with all that being said, not to try to get you confused, but look what it goes for the next part of verse 3. After it was first spoken through who? The Lord. First spoken. Number one. Number one finger. Okay? Here we go. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. Does everybody see that there's three people groups here? The Lord spoke it first. But then there was a confirmation that happened to the people in the time that Hebrews was written, 67, 68 AD. Chances are Luke wrote it. Believe me now, check it out later. I don't know. But anyway, in doing that, 67, 68 AD, so the church had been going along there for a while, at least 25, 30 years at some point. But notice they are the recipients of the people in between Jesus and them. Those are the apostles. 
Those are the witnesses. So notice what it says. After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. Notice he doesn't say, and we are working signs and wonders and miracles because of what they've passed down. We're third generation in line. He doesn't say that. He says God attested it through Jesus. God attested it through those who came after him and before us. But it's all past tense idea. There's nothing going on right here in Hebrews 67, 68 AD that they would have had those miraculous abilities of signs, wonders, and miracles. Does everybody see that? Yes? No? Who's confused? Okay, good. You get it. I'm trying to prove to you they're not for today. Okay? Okay. I taught you in seminary when you don't feel like people are getting your point. Bang the pulpit. I need a sledgehammer. All right. Last part we'll deal with. Turn to Acts 19. If we talk about how revelation is progressive, we talk about how as time goes on, we learn more. Certain things pass away. The law has passed away. It is no longer binding on the church whatsoever, nor do I believe that it ever was. It was only used for the means of convicting people of sin and pointing out wrong. We're never obligated to keep the law. Christ is our law keeper. In the same way that that passes away, there's other things that pass away. Acts chapter 19, using Paul as an example. Watch this. Verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. If you want to know where the charlatans got it, here's where it is, verse 12. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Does Paul have some pretty incredible abilities by the Holy Spirit at this point? Yes, in fact, if you look at the next chapter, he decides he's going to start teaching all night. See, you thought this was long, okay? He taught for like five or six hours. A guy fell asleep in a window, fell out, and died when he hit the floor. Okay, so what does Paul do? Don't worry. (laughs) What's sad about that for you guys is I don't have the miracle to raise him from the dead, okay? But Paul did. So Paul actually goes out, goes down to that bottom floor where he fell, and he stretches himself out over this guy, and he pronounces healing on him, and he raises him from the dead. Okay, pretty amazing stuff, pretty incredible stuff. A lot of eyewitnesses are going to see this. Here's the problem. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 23. Did Paul love Timothy? I would say that Paul loved Timothy probably more than anybody else on the face of the earth except the Lord Jesus. He had such a profound affection and he poured everything he had into Timothy and took him everywhere with him. Look what he says in verse 23 of chapter 5. No longer drink water exclusively. Now all you Southern Baptists, hold on. But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, be healed. How come he doesn't do that? How come Paul has plenty of ailments that he's sick from, and he's not immediately healed? Don't you think, if anything, for the sake of the ministry of the gospel, you'd want to heal yourself? How come when he finds himself in prison? Well, this can't be God's will. Doors open, walls fall down, he walks out. I think a really good conclusion for us to come to is, number one, I think that the New Testament is really clear that as time went on, 
and as Scripture was established and was going to become what is known as the New Testament, those letters started making it around. We see signs and wonders and miracles passing off the scene because it was meant for the purpose of saying, this is God working. Pay attention. And if I've got to do a little bit of fireworks to get your attention to do it, God will do that. He would much rather you know His Word than be all wrapped up in those works. But I think what's important for us to see is a lot of times we will look at negative situations like the fact that Timothy has ulcers from pastoring a church and we'll conclude, well, that must not be God's will. Or how did Timothy sin? And we will look down upon the ailments and the inadequacies and the frailties of other people and we'll accredit a lot of those things to, well, they must have sinned in some way. Well, God must be mad at them because He judged them. And what we find out is that's not the, the case at all. In fact, even in Jesus' ministry, the disciples came. They had the same idea. Hey, uh, tell me who sinned, you know, this guy that, that can't walk and everything. Was it his parents or was it him? Who, 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 that, no, no, no. God's glory is going to be shown through this situation. That's what you need to be concerned about. We shouldn't be concerned with where we can peg blame. What we should be concerned about is what God is going to do through those situations. I think with the idea of miraculous gifts, number one, listen to me. If you've got friends who subscribe to the idea that sign gifts are valid, they don't need your criticisms, they need your love. Okay? They need to be taken to the Word of God, and hopefully you've got these passages now that you can walk through and say, look, as the Bible and New Testament unfolds, they're not there. They start going away. They were here for a purpose, very much. We're not denying the fact that they existed. But we don't need them now because we have this. Are you in tune with this? This is what God wants to use to get your attention now. Have grace on them. Love them. Care for them. Take them to the Word with you. And spend time in the Word together. That's what brothers and sisters should be able to do. So, the reason why we don't have our sheets out and marking it for miracles and Healing and all that, here's the reason why. Because no one in our church has it. No one in any church has it today. It doesn't exist. In fact, when it does exist, I would be very careful about what the Word of God might have to say about it. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. That it teaches us clearly. That if we will just pay attention, we will see Your parameters for this. The Apostles had miracles and healing power. Jesus had miracles and healing power, still does. But it was meant for a reason, that it was set forward to authenticate your message. And God, if anything, I pray that we would walk away glorifying you for the New Testament and thanking you, Lord, that you have given truth for the church age and that you have expounded upon the time to come that we've got plenty of here to worry about with, without stressing out whether or not everybody has a certain gift. Everybody can perform this miraculous work. God, you are the giver of gifts. You are the one who performs any miracle. That it would all be for your glory. Father, please give us wisdom and keen insight. False prophets might want to arise around us and lead us astray. Make us aware of what your scripture says, that we would think more according to your thoughts so that we could serve you faithfully, honestly, truthfully, as you desire for us to do. 
And I ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.